Blog Talk Radio. Welcome one and all. This is Robert Rogers. I am the founder of the most amazing organization, Parkinson's Recovery, which is dedicated to providing support, resources, and information to persons who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. As a heads up, I want everybody to know that I am offering a Jump Start to Recovery program in January. The Jump Start programs offer individuals who currently experience Parkinson's symptoms and their family an opportunity to explore the root causes of their symptoms and options that offer the promise of reversing those symptoms. The guiding philosophy of my Jumpstart programs is to offer participants a helping hand to sort through all the options that are available, and there are many, and furthermore, take action on those options that are promising for each individual who is involved. The program uh, in beginning in January uh, 2015 lasts five exciting continuous weeks where we will extend ongoing support and coaching to each participant. A heads up, though, enrollment is limited to 10 persons. So unlike our summits that have hundreds of people, this one will only involve a close-knit community of individuals on the road to recovery of only 10 persons. If you'd like more information, you can always email me, and that's robert at parkinsonsrecovery.com or call our toll-free number 877-526-4646. There's also a website that describes the program, jumpstart.parkinsonsrecovery.com. I have an exciting radio show program for you today with two amazing guests. My first guest is filmmaker Chris Warren, who is, hold on to your seats, filming a documentary highlighting Parkinson's disease and the use of music therapy as an option to help reverse those symptoms. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hi, hi, how are you doing? So it's uh, actually uh, music therapy and neurologic music therapy. Uh, so, and I'm doing great. How about you? Oh, wonderful. So tell us all about yourself, Chris. I'm basically a music artist from Chicago, um, and that's where I first started at before I started making films. But naturally, as an artist, you kind of want to uh, give your audience and other people um, your visuals, that's how you think in, the, in your head and when you're making a song. So that's when I started making uh, music videos also, too, about five years ago. And uh, I had actually wrote a song uh, about how music was my personal therapy because that's how I used to always express myself through music. Uh, I could talk about things in music that I can't talk to you, you know, just naturally, you know. So music was kind of an outlet for me. And um, I got a pretty good response from the song, uh, Music is My Therapy. It got to uh, about number five on the college radio charts. And um, after that, I started to kind of Google it, uh, music therapy, and and I didn't even know it was a real health treatment option or even a profession. And I've seen all this stuff come up about music therapy, neurologic music therapy. So I started thinking to myself, why don't more people know about this? And uh, one of the staggering uh, statistics I've been able to collect while filming this documentary is only two of the music therapists I interviewed knew about music therapy before college. 
So um, that's why, you know, uh, the documentary is definitely a solution for that, just to make people aware about music therapy, you know, at an earlier age. So they know it's a health treatment option or either even a career option. And um, that's basically what I've been doing uh, for the past 14 months, going around filming people, uh, filming live sessions with people that have Parkinson's and other types of, you know, populations. So you've been traveling all over the country and perhaps elsewhere as well. Oh, well, the plan is to actually go overseas, and we're currently run, raising funds on Kickstarter.com right now. You can look up Music Therapy Documentary on Kickstarter.com to actually film internationally and just, you know, spread the uh, word about, you know, music therapy and neurologic music therapy being, you know, options for people. So we just kind of want to get people to talk about it at the same time and just market it globally, you know, so it could be more of an impact in people's face. Uh, but we have been to uh, California, Colorado, uh, Arizona, Florida, uh, Illinois, my home state, and a few other places. So. Well, Chris, what an exciting project for anybody who currently experiences the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. My second guest is Professor Michael Tout from Colorado State University. Dr. Tout, tell us all about yourself. Yeah, hello. Hello. Um, I'm a I'm a professor at uh, Colorado State University. I have uh, two appointments: one in neuroscience and one in the, the music department. I teach music psychology and uh, neuroscience of music, and I do clinical research that's related to using music in neurologic rehabilitation. And uh, Parkinson's disease is some of the populations that one of the populations we have studied quite a bit. Uh, my background is indeed kind of dual pathways. My first uh, university degree was actually in psychology. And then uh, I was already supposed to study music because I come from a professional music family. And so we, I studied music, was a professional violinist for several years, and then uh, I'm from uh, Europe, I'm from Germany, you may hear that from my accent, and uh, then I got a Fulbright scholarship uh, many years ago to study uh, in the United States, uh, Michigan State University, wonderful school, in the music school there, and uh, got my PhD in music psychology, music education, music therapy, was sort of interdisciplinary degree. And uh, so that's sort of reflected in my dual pathway in the sciences and in the arts. Dr. Todd, I have to tell you that we do share something in common. I also got my Ph.D. from Michigan State University. Oh, fantastic. The Spartans. And the music department <laughs> there is really spectacular. We enjoyed in yeah, my yeah. four years there many, many wonderful concerts. Great. Now, yeah, I many had wonderful experiences there. Yeah. Yes, as did I, I must say. Now, many listeners obviously know about music, and many listeners mm -hmm. obviously know about therapy, and yet mm -hmm. I don't think many listeners know a lot about neurologic music therapy. What in the world is that, and when was it discovered? Uh, neurologic music therapy, we coined that term about 15 years ago after we had done a lot of research in the neuroscience of music and um, it's different 
sits apart from more traditional forms of music therapy. I think we'll talk about that a little later. Neurologic music therapy is the use of music, the perception of music, the engagement in music, the playing of instruments functionally to address issues in speech and language rehabilitation, in movement rehabilitation, and in cognitive rehabilitation. It is a form of music therapy that's standardized. There are 20 techniques developed. Uh, they're based on research evidence. And uh, the research started, probably we started the research about 25 years ago, the, to codify it as a uh, standardized therapy. We did that about 15 years ago after we saw a lot of accumulation of research. It really started with a hunch and then a discovery. <clears throat> I was always intrigued by the ability of musicians to perform, uh, I would maybe, extremely skillful, fast movements in music. Motor learning in music is a phenomenon that's extremely interesting. And since I was a violinist, and uh, I experienced that myself, and I was wondering what what in the music facilitates these kind of movement abilities that uh, are difficult to replicate outside of music. And the major hunch that we developed back then was that it has something to do with the timing that comes through the musical patterns, specifically rhythm. And we all know that uh, we re respond to rhythmic stimuli very motorically, you know, intuitively. So um, <clears throat> we studied initially really motor control in musicians, but then I became interested due to my studies at Michigan State in, uh, in clinical populations. And I thought, I wonder if we can turn that high-performance model around into people who need help to recover or retrain or maintain uh, movement functions. And so we, uh, I did some preliminary research with uh, cerebral palsy children during my dissertation, and then later when I became a professor here, I, we wanted to study uh, stroke patients, and we used rhythmic stimuli, simple, simple like metronome beats, symmetric rhythmic metronome beats, looking if we can help if patients would entrain to the rhythm and adjust their walking pattern to the sensory stimulus in the music, the rhythmic stimulus in the music, and if they could walk faster, more stable and safe, more symmetric. And these are, these are the kind of questions we had. We uh, uh, created some research studies in the early 90s. They were highly successful. We saw immediate radical changes in the walking patterns of stroke patients. And... Uh, published those in uh, neurologic uh, journals, and then we got a grant in 1994 from the Ad Federal Administration of Aging because we proposed that we would try, like to try that same idea with uh, Parkinson patients who also have movement uh, dysfunctions, uh, very different, of course, from a cause point of view than stroke. And so we got uh, funding, and we studied that, and we had also some saw some very uh, impressive changes in the walking ability. That's what we mainly studied. And uh, published several papers on that in 96, 97, 98, and then another one in 2001, and we just completed a, another major study. So <clears throat> that that was really the core of the idea of there's more to music than the general idea of 
more like a social idea of music makes me feel good, make, make, music helps me to relate to other people. Uh, we thought there is something in the elements of music itself and the patterns and the structure of music as a sensory language that can really engage the brain and retrain attention, memory, uh, movement control, etc., etc. And that hunch has turned out to be correct, and it's been replicated all over the world by many other groups. And so that's what that's how that's the evolution in the short short story part of neurologic music therapy. What an exciting program of research. It sounds like in the design of studies that you've done with people who currently experience Parkinson's symptoms, that the Parkinson's subjects were listening to the sounds. They weren't, for example, playing the violin or playing instruments. They were listening to sounds, and that's subsequently what helped their gait and their walking patterns. Is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, that's essentially correct. Yeah, we we don't use. Uh, I mean, when we use musical instruments, we would always everything we do in neurologic music therapy is functional to the to the to the uh, uh, goals of the therapy. So we we have not done any instrument training with um, Parkinson patients. If we use, we have, we have done it with stroke patients, but so like if they work on flexion extension patterns, we we work we use uh, percussion instruments or keyboards for finger control. It's not musical training. It's using music instruments for functional improvements. With Parkinson, we have uh, basically the basic design is uh, we look at their gait pattern, at the step frequency. Uh, Parkinson patients walk very slow. They have um, a lot of problems with shuffling, with freezing, uh, instability of walking. So we we basically create a rhythmic stimulus in the music, sometimes just a metronome, depending on what's available, and we ask the patient to walk to the beat of the music or to, to the beat of the rhythm. And that is, there is an immediate entrainment process in the brain between the auditory and the motor system. People sort of lock their step pattern into the cue and can walk faster. Uh, there's less freezing, less akinesia, more stable walking legs work more stably and symmetrically and we can improve their stride length and their overall velocity sometimes their step rate too if that's necessary sometimes the step rate is already too high we slow them down a little bit so it's a coupling process between the the rhythmic stimulus and the uh, walking response of the patient and that's almost instantaneously and we, we have done some brain research also look at the mechanism we have a pretty good idea how that works and why it works why then is neurologic music therapy so effective with the Parkinson's population? Uh, well, it's it is really it's effective with Parkinson uh, because it stimulate it, it supports the uh, the control and the planning of the motor system in interesting ways. It's actually not just effective with Parkinson. It's also effective with stroke patients with cerebral palsy, children, traumatic brain injury. It's when we listen to a, a beat, we the brain is not just processing this little click, but it's more importantly processing the distance between the clicks. That's the interval. And that is maybe... I can use the picture of that's like a bridge of time. And that is the moment where we create added information for programming the movement in the brain. 
So the patient takes the takes off and they try to land with their foot on the next beat, but the time in between is the additional sensory information for the brain to control the movement and sequence it and uh, maybe speed it up in a very direct way. So the, 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 the idea here is that music creates a lot of sensory timing information to the brain that helps to sort of program the movement better. People are going to find your research absolutely fascinating. Can you touch on some of your research breakthroughs for neurologic music therapy with Parkinson's disease patients? Well, I can tell you a little bit about our first study. Uh, back, as I said, we, got to, we had this grant from the Administration of Aging, and when we uh, set up a uh, clinical trial with uh, three different groups, one it was a home-based training program. Uh, one group trained with rhythmic auditory stimulation. We gave them, you know, CDs and metronomes to work with on a daily basis. Then another group just went through a exercise gait training program without music. And then another group uh, didn't do any form of uh, therapy training. They just uh, lived their daily activities as usual. And we tested people in uh, extensively before the study started. With, uh, we measured their all their uh, gait uh, variables. We measured their muscle activity with electromyography. We did some kinematic analysis how the movement was controlled, and then we had them we had them train for three weeks in these three different conditions, and then we. Uh, looked at them again after three weeks, and we remeasured all the variables without the music present. And in all aspects of the ability to walk, speed, stride length, stability, uh, more focused muscle activity, the group that trained with rhythmic auditory stimulation came out significantly ahead of the other two uh, groups. Uh, so that was really the very first piece of evidence that uh, neurologic music therapy will work with Parkinson patients. I did a review about six months ago for an insurance company to uh, fund neurologic music therapy for Parkinson's study uh, patient. They, the insurance company, wanted uh, like a, the research evidence available to support this, and I found. Uh, in the last 10 years or 12 years, 50 papers that had replicated more or less our original findings. So there's a very solid piece of evidence that this stuff works. You've obviously had a profound impact on many, many other researchers across the world, Dr. Twab. Well, How did... the... yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, me, okay. Uh, well, there are two... Uh, aspects in science that you know are important to when we create evidence and one is the that that we can replicate findings so somebody finds one thing and uh, you know statistics is a little bit of a game of probability it helps us to illustrate findings but we need to see that other people independently can actually show the same results, and then we begin to trust in our data. 
And then we also need to be able to explain why these things happen. And those are two criteria that, as a scientist, you are concerned about in terms of has that been replicated and can we explain why this stuff works. Uh, pure statistics is really not the, uh, the most important source for proof. And so, yes, the replication of these data with participation has been very uh, important to us. And we have continued to publish, and we are in the process of publishing another couple of papers. But uh, this, the replication has been very important for us to validate this from uh, very, various aspects of the neuroscience community, the, neuro, the neuro-rehab community. It's a compelling testament to the importance of your original work. When you were doing that initial study, was it difficult for you to see that this was really helping people with Parkinson's and you didn't really realize that was the case until you analyzed the results, or it was pretty obvious from the very beginning? Uh, the interesting thing is, and Chris can talk to that a little bit, I showed him some videos. The, uh, the effect is very immediate and very instantaneous. It's an immediate coupling effect or entrainment effect. You can see that uh, visually almost immediately. And, uh, of course, then you need to analyze the actual data and need to, uh, you know, look at all this uh, stuff from a uh, data analysis angle. But the changes in the walking of the patients you see almost immediately. And this is why patients, when they do this form of therapy, are very excited about it because they see the difference almost instantaneously. And we have had many, many reports from patients who actually get themselves a headset. Uh, they used to do CD players. Now we have different devices. We have iPhones and iPads and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and that gave them the confidence to go back out of the house and go into the park or go shopping without being afraid that they're going to get stuck. They can't make it home. They uh, fall, et cetera, et cetera. So we have, we have, we have a lot of testimony that uh, patients continue to use Music and the rhythmic element, as I said, is the most important part in the music to really give them better, better sense and better quality of life. And we have uh, in our research lab, Chris visited that uh, several weeks ago, we have actually uh, community outreach groups for patients with Parkinson's disease, and they come every Tuesday and they work on their voice control and they work on their movement control using NMT. And so this is uh, this is an effect that you can demonstrate actually quite easily. Chris, tell us some more about your reactions when you saw those videos and those actual subjects experimenting with these particular techniques. Well, I was, I mean, I was, I was astonished. I mean, just sitting there, the first one that he showed me of the guy actually walking to the metronome, it was unbelievable uh, the, the, the instantaneous change when he was walking from the first video when there was no temple or no metronome to walk to and um i thought to myself like i mean is this really possible you know and you just look at it and you just see that it i mean it just amazes you from the general public point of view too because you got to think about it i just discovered music therapy and neurologic music therapy 14 months ago so uh and and i and i think by them actually researching this and everything and you know seeing this happen it amazes them, but they're around this every day. So imagine how much of an impact that has on somebody like me from the out as an outsider. 
and you uh, immediately just want to spread the word about this because, I mean, I, I love music, and I feel like music is so powerful. So you, as a musician, you want to spread the word about any positive things that music could bring to the table. And uh, definitely, like uh, Michael just mentioned, with R.E.S. and uh, Walking to the Temple, I mean, it's definitely powerful. I receive many calls and emails from people who basically say they are having challenges with falls, for example, and with freezing, and their question is, what medication can they take to facilitate that? It sounds to me like your research would suggest, well, consider neurologic music therapy as an approach that might really facilitate those kinds of problems. Would that be an appropriate response to them? Uh, the uh, NMT can definitely uh, help to uh, improve the, uh, let's say, the the speed of walking, the st- stable stability of walking. It can help the sequencing to overcome freezing. I would say uh, I'm not a physician, so I don't prescribe medication. I don't do that stuff. I do the rehabilitation research. So I think in what we see is most patients, the vast majority of patients, do this in combination with a responsible responsible medication regimen that's prescribed and monitored by the neurologist. So I would not recommend, I cannot responsibly recommend and say, don't take medication, just do NMT. That I cannot say uh, that's uh, the decision of the patient we most people the vast majority of people that we work with are on a medication regimen but the nmt rehabilitation program definitely enhances the their ability to deal with those symptoms and be a more confident and a more uh, uh, able uh, moving person Dr. Trapp, do you believe that Parkinson's disease symptoms can be reversed? <laughs> uh, well, from, I've, from a, a, I'm a clinical neuroscientist. I'm not a physician, and I don't do cause research in terms of what causes Parkinson, which is very, very difficult to explain, I think, from what I understand. Uh, I have not... In my understanding, it's a neurodegenerative disease. Uh, we can. My goal is to help improve and sustain function as long as possible. Uh, everything else, I think, is a different aspect of neurology. And uh, from a disease understanding that I know, it's a neurodegenerative disease. So uh, NMT, we don't reverse the cause or the course of the disease, but I think we can definitely significantly help people to have a higher quality of life while they have the disease. As a researcher, what are your thoughts on medication for the Parkinson's disease population, and do you think it helps or hurts the situation? Well, as I said, I'm uh, I'm not a uh, physician that prescribes medication. The, pe- the most of the patients we work with in studies are uh, half medication. We have done some research also to see if the effect works without medication. It does. However, the overall function that we have measured with the patients without medication is usually lower than the patients that are on medication. So. Uh, 
this is an area where I really have to, you know, you know, put the competence and expertise in the hands of the neurologists that work with the patients. Um, I, as I said, I can only what I observe is that people who are on a good medication regimen, uh, Parkinson's patients usually do well, and um, I mean there's there's every medication has its weaknesses, it has its uh, side symptoms. Uh, there is research into better medications that uh, use chemicals that don't. Uh, engage to work on the dopamine base as the, the current stuff. Uh, by as I said, I can only say that what I see when it's done well and when the neurologist does a good job working with the patient, it is definitely something that helps people. But it, that means also we can do in addition to that, we can do a lot of things that uh, drive the uh, the brain into an operating function that uh, helps to maintain and sustain their abilities uh, significantly if they um, with and they would be significantly worse off if they would, would not also engage in an active rehabilitation program and that's where my part comes in now we've used two terms here during the program music therapy and neurologic music therapy are they the same or are they different uh they are different. Um, the to, uh, neurologic music therapy consists of 20 standardized techniques that address cognitive areas like attention, memory, executive function, speech and language areas, and then, of course, the big area of, of movement rehabilitation. 19 of those 20 techniques actually use the elements and the components and the structure and the patterns in music itself. So we use uh, uh, musical patterns to help people to focus their attention, track acoustical stimuli. Uh, We use music as a template to organize information for memory. We use music and rhythm as a cue to help the control of movement. Uh, that's very different than uh, the basis of more traditional forms of music therapy that come more from a social science point, how to use music as a, uh, uh, in a, almost like a cultural concept of well-being, of social relationship building, which is good. I'm not saying that's not the right thing, but it only goes so far. It doesn't go to the core of the issues that we need in rehabilitation. So NMT uses music very differently than traditional music therapy. It uses the structure and the patterns and the elements of music itself to train attention, to train memory, to train, to access speech pathways in aphasia that are alternative to the damaged speech pathway so people can sing and relearn how to speak. And, of course, then the big area of movement where we can help people to really regain a lot of mobility function. There are these 20 different patterns and uh, sounds, uh, tracks that you've used in your research. I'm sure listeners are wondering, well, how can I get my hands on those so I can use them? Is there a way that listeners can actually acquire a CD of these sounds? 
Uh, just a, a quick correction. There are not 20 different sounds. There are 20 different techniques. I'm sorry, so I used... Yeah, <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I, I was no, we don't, we don't want to give, give the impression that we have we, we found no. 20 different sounds and they no, can no, I, heal people. I, that's you. a little yeah. too esoteric for me. <laughs> but, my my, my no, apologies. These are techniques, my yeah. No, no, it's okay. Uh, so just to make sure that, there's, that the listener is uh, clear on that. So these are techniques like we work with a patient in gait training and we use rhythmic auditory stimulation. That's a technique. So, But how can people get... Uh, uh, services. Uh, we have an academy for neurologic music therapy, and we conduct continuing education training for all rehab professionals, music therapists, physical therapists, neurologists. There are about 1,500 certified, um, or I should say, NMT trained um, practitioners in the world in 25 countries. The about almost a thousand in the United States. The best way to do this is. Uh, go to our website, which is www. Then CBRM, which stands for Center for Biomedical Research in Music. So CBRM dot Colostate, one word C O L O State dot uh, then edu, and uh, then you click on everything you see there: the research, the academy training. Uh, there is a registry of people who are have the NMT certificate in uh, in the, and so they can actually locate people if they want email them and uh, that happens quite a bit you know somebody in New York or Boston or Los Angeles says you know I would like to work with a neurologic music therapist and that's how you can find them they can also email me my email is on the website too. And I can help facilitate the process with our staff here at the, the academy to get people in touch with an NMT, NMT trained therapist. It also sounds like there are therapists across the globe, then, as well as the United States. Yeah, 25 countries. So we there's a, we have a nice contingent in Europe, in uh, Japan, uh, Taiwan, Australia, uh, Germany, Netherlands, United Kingdom. Uh, so some countries have more than others, but uh, it's, a, it's an ongoing, continuous pro process. We have probably five or six of these courses a year all over the world. So it requires quite a bit of traveling on our end, but we see the benefit to the patients, and, uh, and this uh, is an enormous uh, benefit. And the patients see it themselves so quickly. So it uh, the... Um, the response of the therapy profession to get these principles and these techniques uh, taught to them is extremely uh, rewarding. But it's uh, also um, it, it yeah it's extremely rewarding, and uh, we are doing our best to get this out as fast as possible. Uh, people can actually access this website from all over and look if there's somebody in their country or in their vicinity, Canada, we should not forget, we just did a major training last year in Canada. So it's it's pretty it's worldwide, and uh, maybe this radio show will help to uh, uh, bring attention and awareness for Parkinson's patients to this form of rehabilitation that I think will uh, give them some relief and some help. Yes, indeed. I can assure you it will. 
Now, if a person finds a therapist who, for example, lives in Los Angeles and makes an appointment with them, what can they expect? Are they going to be seeing them over a period of weeks or months or years? Are we talking about a relationship that will require, on average, six appointments or 10 or 20 or for the rest of their life? How does that work exactly on average? I think it works uh, differently for for different patients. Uh, Some people uh, work with a a therapist uh, for three or four weeks, and then uh, the therapist creates a home-based program so that the patient can practice and train daily on their own. Uh, Some uh, therapists actually run community groups where they can meet uh, once a week, and we have patients here in our community groups that have been coming for 10 years uh, once a week. And so this it really depends. It, uh, it, it can be a consultation, how should I do this? I have a metronome at home, show me I can do this myself, or it can be an um, ongoing uh, appointment basis, or it could be a group basis. It really depends on... Um, uh, how the patient wants to do this, um, the um, effects will be pretty quick. But uh, you know, in neurorehabilitation, the principle is uh, use it or lose it, <laughs> like every learning. So uh, you know, we don't. If any f- effect of therapy will d- diminish or disappear, actually unless you continue to train. Uh, it's, uh, that's just the brain principle. I used to play, I used to play violin uh, six hours a day for years and years. I haven't done that in 20 years. I do not play violin as well as I used to do 20 years ago. So oh. the key to, to, to staying in shape, so to speak, for the patients, even more importantly than for uh, uh, healthy people, uh, Continue to train those functions and uh, to train, and this this is why home-based, community-based rehabilitation programs are so important, so that they have access to that and they continue to work uh, and not stop after two or three weeks after the last appointment, but uh, work on your own as much as you can or with the help of your family or with your spouse. And that way, your chances of retaining these gains is much better. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. You're listening to my interview with Dr. Michael Tout from Colorado State University and filmmaker Chris Warren. The two of you are quite fascinating guests to be on the show today because, Dr. Tout, you basically have stimulated and inspired many, many researchers and many therapists to be able to get into your whole approach of helping people with these neurological challenges. And, Chris, you're interesting in that you're kind of at the other end of the spectrum. You discovered this, it sounds like, about 14 or so months ago. Chris, how in the world did you discover music therapy? Well, I had wrote a song uh, that I was talking about earlier, Music is My Therapy, and uh, I got a pretty good response from the song, and uh, it got as high as about number five on the college radio charts. And um, after that, I mean, I mean, it was people that were coming to me that never really listened to my music and just saying, like, man, I, I love that track, I love that track. And 
I decided to actually Google music therapy because that's how I always felt like music was for me. I used to always say that music is my therapy. When I write, you know, that's my therapy. You know, when I when I'm in a great mood, I could write about something. When I'm in a sad mood, I could bring myself out of it just by actually writing and getting those feelings out. So when I Googled it, I've seen uh, all these different organizations pop up about music therapy and neurologic music therapy, and I just, you know, just say, like, hey, I mean, i got to see what this is really about. And I, I kind of remember the day uh, that I did it. I was I thought in my head, the first thing I thought is, I'm going to document this and do a documentary about this because I guarantee you if uh, somebody else figured out about music therapy just on, and stumbled across it, they will want to know why they didn't, they didn't know about this before. So this is pretty much just more so for the general public to actually know that this exists, you know, because it is only about uh, 6,000 music therapists in the United States, you know, and um, and a lot of people out there don't even know that this is a real viable treatment option. So I figure it's, it's, it's up to the people, you know, to actually uh, create create the positive media. You know, a lot of people complain about what's on TV and what the news does, and, you know, they hide certain things. You know, a lot of people complain too much, but they don't do enough action. So this is pretty much just the action that we're doing is actually showing people that they have other options. And I feel like that's up to the people like me to actually uh, film subjects like this and topics, you know, and just put them out there. Chris, it sounds like your work is in the stage of filming, so the documentary has not yet been released. Can you give listeners a sneak preview of what they're going to see when the final documentary is released? Well, yeah, they can actually go on uh, musictherapydocumentary.com. That's musictherapydocumentary.com and see uh, some of the populations that we filmed uh, with autism and then also on the uh, Kickstarter, like we're currently uh, raising funds to go internationally and film uh, different populations. Also, too, uh, you can see some of the Parkinson's uh, footage that we filmed online if you go to kickstarter.com and then just search music therapy documentaries. So just search music therapy documentary on kickstarter.com, and you can actually see a trailer of uh, the different populations that we dealt with as far as uh, children that are blind, children on autism spectrum, uh, Parkinson's disease patients. Uh, we also filmed, which is not shown to uh, cerebral palsy. So we have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, you know, we have a lot of different uh, different populations that we actually filmed to actually show people that, you know, music could be used with any type of population from babies in the NICU all the way to people with Alzheimer's and dementia. So uh, this is uh, something that people just have to know about. It sounds like you're also raising funds so that you can actually get more footage of populations across the globe. How can listeners support your project? Yes, uh, yeah, they can go on musictherapydocumentary.com and then it would say support our Kickstarter. Is a link that says support our Kickstarter. So you could click that link and it goes directly straight to the Kickstarter uh, website where we're currently raising funds. Uh, we're a little over 10 or 11% of our goal right now, and uh, it's like a 30-something day campaign, and it's about 15 days left. So uh, we definitely you know, welcome any type of support. And we have a lot of unique um, 
unique uh, rewards for members because on Kickstarter it has a unique model. So if you donate X amount of dollars, you get something in exchange for your donation, whether it's a T-shirt, a postcard from the countries that we visit, uh, a music video for you about a subject that you feel passionate about. And that goes back to the music therapy, you know, uh, filming subjects that, you know, you, you, feel, feel, you feel passionate about too. And, uh, and, you know, executive producer credit. So it's a, it's a whole lot of things. And also one of the things is going to uh, actually NMT and neurologic music therapy training. That's one of the rewards depending on how much you donate. So uh, it's a pretty creative platform that, uh, you know, um, a lot of people are, you know, uh, doing doing a lot of good stuff independently on. And as an independent filmmaker, you know, uh, sometimes you just got to be able to press the button and, you know, like I did with this project and say this needs to get done. And then, uh, you know, once you get to a certain point, you know, uh, the vision gets bigger. And that's what kind of happened. You know, the vision gets bigger. And, you know, I kind of think about it as like the World Cup or the Olympics. When you start evolving people from other countries, you know, a lot of people start talking about it. And that goes to the same goal is awareness. So the more people that talk about it, the more people that are aware about it, and uh, that's when we actually, you know, it might sound cliche, but that's when you actually change the world, you know. So the idea is to get the word out there. Yes. Now, some listeners may be thinking, right, yeah, I'm sure that if I went on that website, uh, there's this expectation that I would have to donate $1,000 or $10,000, but I don't have that much to contribute. If a person wants to contribute $10 or $20, can they do that through this website interface? Oh, yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. And, you know, uh, with $15, uh, you could get a, a digital download of the documentary. So, yeah, you could donate any amount, uh, any anything counts, from a dollar to how much ever you want to donate, you know. So, um, hey, you know, we keep you updated during our filming process and everything. And, um, yeah, you'll receive all the updates, you know, no matter what. You know, you're a part of the team, you know. So you would That's actually join you on your whole journey of documenting all of this across the globe. So we get emails from you talking about what you're discovering, it sounds like. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And actually That's footage, pretty... too. Cause footage, oh. Yeah, so That's even, even some of the behind the scenes, too. <laughs> now, Chris, so. I want to ask you to, if you would, list this Kickstarter website, but do it very slowly, letter by letter, so people can write that down. Some people who currently experience Parkinson's symptoms uh, take some a bit of time to get things recorded in writing. So if you could do it very slowly for listeners. Okay. Uh, so uh, one, the first option is going on the website musictherapydocumentary.com, just how it sounds, and then clicking the link that says support our Kickstarter. That's the first option. The second option is going directly to kickstarter.com. That's K-I-C-K-S-T-A-R-T-E-R.com, kickstarter.com. And then in the search box segment, type in music therapy documentary. Um, it's three separate words, though, music therapy documentary. And then once you get enough, the first um, the first one is going to pop up. There's going to be a blue graphic with uh, orange and black letters, so it kind of stands out. It says, what is music therapy? And you click on that project, and uh, basically from then just choose what, um, how much you want to donate, you know, and uh, just go over the rewards and everything, too, and it's uh, pretty interesting. You know, we are offering a lot of different types of unique rewards, but, yeah, kickstarter.com and then search 
music therapy documentary, three separate words, and it'll be the first project that pops up. The big picture, it sounds to me like, Chris, is that you certainly, in the footage you've already taken from all the interviews that you've done with Dr. Towton, all the other individuals you've interviewed, you've been able to clearly show what the important and wonderful and marvelous effects of neurologic music therapy really are for people. But this venture is really much larger than that. It sounds like your mission is to be able to get the word out, not just to people in Chicago, but to people not just across the United States, to people across the globe. And so to do that, you need to get out and to begin to get some more footage from other populations. Is that a fair assessment of what this is all about for you? Yes, yes. That's one of the variables, you know, getting more footage, but also connecting with people on a personal level. I mean, uh, people are caught up a lot these days with emails and Facebook nowadays and Twitter, but when you get to actually see a person face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, I mean, those vibes, you know, could translate to wonders. You know, I I made some of my best relationships seeing people face-to-face because once you're out there face-to-face with them, that means you're in this for for real, you know. And and by doing that, you've got building those relationships. Those people uh, start talking about what you have going on in there. More people just want to get involved, and, you know, it's just a beautiful thing. And it kind of is like a snowball effect, and you know, but it becomes this huge, you know, snowball, and it kind of um, just goes along with the vision of actually spreading the word about something positive, you know. Uh, it's easy to translate, you know, certain types of negative things on TV and, you know, the tra- with traditional media, and that easily spreads the word. Why can't we do the same thing positively with a positive subject like music therapy and neurologic music therapy? So it's, it's like, why can't you do it? And, you know, in, in my vision, it could be, it could happen. All it takes is one person to initiate it, and then the next person, if they could feel your vibe and feel your passion, it definitely translates to them and then so on. So whatever it could be done one time could be done ten times and ten times a hundred. And uh, that, that, that's how that's how I just look at it. And, you know, with one person, um, changing one person's life would definitely translate to many more. And then, you know, the documentary is just to showcase it. I mean, as the filmmaker, I'm just the reporter. So that's all I'm doing is reporting the facts. People like uh, Dr. Tout and all the other great music therapists and neurologic music therapists that I filmed, uh, they're the ones out there in the trenches, you know, and they, they have these day-to-day operations and research to do. So, you know, they, they have very, very busy, busy lives. And the clinical part, about what they do is the most important part. So they might not have time to, you know, go and film this and go move around the world, but me, I have time to actually do that. So I think it's kind of a perfect marriage to somebody who actually sees and gets what they do and get why it's actually important. It's it's definitely important for me to actually be able to do that, you know. Well, Chris, it sounds like not only you, but Michael Twout is, You're both changing the world and changing the perception of people who currently experience medical challenges such as Parkinson's disease to realize that there are options that can really make a huge difference in their lives. There's no doubt about it. Dr. Michael Twat, I want to ask you one important question since you've had so much contact with individuals who currently experience Parkinson's symptoms. If there's one thing you would like to say to, to listeners who currently experience these symptoms, if there's one thing you'd like them to hear from you, 
about this particular condition, what would it be? Uh, I mean, the, uh, I mean, seek the best help you can. Uh, NMT is certainly a part of uh, the, uh, the part of the help. Um, I know a lot of very responsible neurologists who do wonderful things and wonderful advice and wonderful uh, treatment. Um, the uh, <clears throat> and that, in in all honesty, from in my observation, includes good medication regimens. I think the the biggest thing maybe is there are a lot of researchers that are also they're also not just looking for rehabilitation like what we do. But they're looking for the causes and how to find bigger uh, solutions for Parkinson's disease through uh, uh, studying the causes of Parkinson's. And so there is hope that one day maybe we have actually a bigger way uh, to treat it and to give some real help uh, to people with Parkinson's disease. Um, so there is actually a lot of brain research that looks into how uh, can we prevent or uh, heal Parkinson in more uh, radical ways than we are at the current uh, currently able and that's uh, there there are some big uh, research programs going on in NIH fund some private funding and uh, that that made not be uh, in the next two years, but hopefully at some point in time down the road, we have a uh, a bigger hope how to deal with uh, Parkinson's disease. During the program, you listed, Dr. Trout, the way that individuals can access information about therapists that would be available mm -hmm. to help in a system. I'd like to ask you, if you could, to say that connection again, that website again, but this time very, yeah, sure. very slowly. Yeah. So it's uh, www. and then it's C, like Christoph, B, like uh, 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 Bernard, <laughs> R, like Roger, and M, like Michael, C-B-R-M dot. And then it's Colostate, C-O-L-O state, it's one word, stands, is a little bit of an abbreviation for Colorado State, so it's colostate.edu, www.cbrm.colostate.edu. And then also, if you could, for listeners, spell your last name. Uh... T-H-A-U-T, silent H, tout. On behalf of the many, many thousands of listeners of the Parkinson Radio Show, I want to thank both you, Michael, and you, Chris, for the incredible and remarkable work that both of you are doing 
to be able to document this wonderful option for people who currently experience Parkinson's symptoms and to be able to get the word out to more and more people that there are options that are available that can help people enormously who are facing these circumstances. So on behalf of all those who are listening today and will be listening in the months and the years ahead to this program, I want to say to both of you from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of the heart from the many, many people who currently experience these symptoms, thank you for all that you do. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that's what's happening on the shores of, you guessed it, the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show today, that you indeed are on the road to recovery. It's been a delight and honor and a pleasure. This is Robert Rogers. I am your host and the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. May your Thanksgiving holiday be spectacular. Good day.